one thing that's true about all of us is all of us love a good story. And this is why we like Christmas movies, right? Because Christmas movies often present some really good stories. And I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is. Maybe it's kind of along the lines of, of a movie you would watch as a kid, like, like the classic Rudolph. Uh, that's kind of a claymation sort of thing. Maybe it's more along the lines of Frosty and the Snowman. But, but maybe you just kind of got attached to some things as a kid, and, and you just kind of held on to those movies. Um, maybe it's you know the dreaded Hallmark sort of thing, which literally has the same plot but different actors. So if you've seen one, you've seen all of them. I know for some of y'all that's kind of a thing, and it's just not for me. Um, maybe you're more along the lines of comedy. Um, you know, for instance, Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. Hilarious Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out. Maybe that's your sort of thing. But maybe it's along the lines of action. I know it's debatable whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. They're like that, like that, that. You might start a fight if you start arguing about that. I don't know. We had to break one up here uh, with our production crew earlier and Sean. Um, um, or, or maybe you're along the lines of something that's more very, very redemptive. Um, I know for me, honestly, Jim Carrey's Grinch has a very redemptive sort of storyline, or maybe you're very old school, like it's a wonderful life, like, like that sort of redemptive. Um, regardless, all of us, we love a good story. But here's what I want us to, to, to really grasp onto and, and really live out in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just watch a good story. I want to live a good story. Right? I don't want to just watch somebody else's story. I don't want to just live my life through watching somebody else live something that's unexplainable and incredible. I want to live a great story with my own life. And so the question becomes, how, how do we live a good story with our own lives? And we really answered that question in a lot of ways last week, that the way you live a great story is to center your life on the mission of God and the way we put it last week was, man, well, the question becomes, as we enter kind of a season of transition as a church, are we going to build my house, like, like my individual life, your individual life? Are we going to focus on our house where we make it just all about our church? Or are we going to live our lives for God's house, for his kingdom, for his mission? That's why the way we put like our the purpose of our existence at LifeSpring is we exist to give everyone opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same because giving our lives to that mission will literally matter forever because at the end of the day, you get to take two things to eternity, a relationship with Christ and the people that you help introduce him to. So if we're going to live a great story with our own lives and not just like watch other people live a great story, it requires centering our lives on the mission of God, living our lives day to day with the purpose of in my life, in my work, in my parenting, my marriage, my hobbies, the opportunities I have. My purpose, our purpose is to give everyone opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same. It's not just a good idea. It's not primarily our leadership's idea. It is our purpose as a church family. The question that flows out of that then is simply this. Okay, that sounds great. Like live my life centered on the mission of God. How do I get started? What do I do next? And reality is this. That is a crucial question because the place that so many dreams go to die, the place that so many visions go to die, is when it comes to getting started. 
Because often we can hear something that sounds inspiring. It sounds incredible. God births something in our heart that we're like, man, I want to give my life to that. God gives us maybe a, di- a glimpse of the distant future. Like, hey, here's what could be and here's what should be. But so often we get overwhelmed with the details of, well, that sounds great, but, but, but what do I do next? What do I do next? Like, I remember having this feeling um, when we were probably, I don't know, 18, 17 months out from launching LifeSpring, and I started to put together our first launch budget and our first, like, budget for, for I guess, the first four months. And I was like, oh, my gosh. For our first 15 months, we're going to need, like, $300,000. Where are we going to find $300,000? But between like pre-launch and everything associated with that and buying equipment because we didn't have any equipment at the time. It was like, and so I remember that feeling of being very overwhelmed. It's like, where in the world do I get started? And maybe some of you guys are there. Maybe it's something in your personal life. Maybe it relates to our vision as a church. You're like, man, where do I even get started? Like, like I like this idea of centering my life on the mission of God, but, but what do I do next? And so this morning, we're going to answer that question. We're going to answer how to get started. And the reason we have to answer the question of how to get started is because if we don't know how to get started, if we don't know what to do next, then vision is just a nice idea on a wall or a nice idea on a website or just kind of a sentimental thought instead of a practical reality. I don't want to live a life that has a bunch of good ideas. I want to live a life to where things move from idea to reality. That's how you live a great life. That's how you live a great story. So how do we get started? Today we're going to be in the book of Zechariah. It's the next to last book in what's called the Old Testament. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the book of Haggai. And Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are all written in what's called the post-exilic period. If you're new to church, man, I'm so glad you're here, excited that you're here. We're like, we exist for people like you. We, we planted LifeSpring. We started LifeSpring with the goal of creating a space where people who weren't interested in God, who had questions, could come, explore those questions, and ultimately come to know Jesus. That's why we exist as a church. But the people of Israel, just to give you a catch-up on the story if you're not familiar with it, and just a reminder if you are, the people of Israel that had lived in a place called the Promised Land, which is modern-day Israel, more or less, um, and they disobeyed God. God had said, if you obey me, you'll stay here. If you disobey me, I will kick you out of the land. And so they disobeyed God. And so God exiled them to a place called Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. And then God's like, okay, now it's time for y'all to go back home. And some of them went home. A lot of them stuck around in Babylon, and we'll talk about that in a second. But when they first got back, they realized we need to rebuild the temple, not because it's a building, but because it represents the presence of God with his people. And they started on it, and then they stopped. So they had kind of some start-stop problems. And so Zechariah deals with the question for them of how do you get started? But for them specifically, it's more of how do you keep going? And those are really two sides of the same coin. How do you get started? How do you get going? Or perhaps in some cases, how do you restart? And so this is where he starts off. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Now that's really interesting because at this point, the exiles that had returned, they had stopped building the temple. They're like, we need to work on our house first and we'll get to this, we'll do that later. And you would expect God to come back and say, hey, y'all get back to work. But instead, what God communicates to Zechariah is, hey, return to me. Return to me, come back to me. You return to me and I'll return to you. 
And so when it comes to getting started, if you want to write this down, the first step in getting started is this. Getting started begins not with a what, but with a who. Getting started does not primarily consist of, man, I need my checklist, I need my steps. There's like 5 million steps between point A and point Z, and I need to list those out. And listen, I'm not saying don't plan. Like, I love planning. I think it's great. I think those of you who don't live like live, live by checklists, like, I just don't think that's a great way to do it, to be honest. Um, but here's the thing that I've learned, guys. If you want to know what to do, it really starts with getting really close with Jesus. Getting started begins not with a what, not with a task, not with a list of action items, but with a who. It begins with knowing God. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. And here's one thing I want to point out. God said here through the prophet Zechariah, return to me and I'll return to you. Guys, listen, God wants to be close to you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your story is. God wants to be close to you. And I say that because some of us grew up or have come from contexts where it seemed like God wanted to do everything he could to keep us far away from us as possible. And it is true that sin creates distance from us and God. But the reason that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago as a baby, the reason we have Christmas is because God didn't want us to stay distant from him. He wanted us to be close. And the only way for us to get close was for him to come to us because we couldn't get to him. So the only way we can even live this idea out of returning to God is, is through Christ. God came to us through Jesus so we could be close to him. God wants you close to him. And so the question that flows from, out, from, from that is simply this. It's twofold. One, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Does that exist? Is that a reality in your life? Have you come to the point to where you realized that you could not get back to God on your own because you can't? No amount of good works will make you acceptable to God. And you might say, well, why is that? Well, it's because God is perfect. God is infinite in perfection. And there's literally nothing you can put in front of an infinitely perfect God that God's like, wow, I'm impressed. And that's not to minimize the things that you guys do. It's not to minimize the things we do. But come on, guys, really, like the one who created sunsets, the one who created oceans, the one who created atoms and molecules, things we can't even see, like is there really anything we can do? Is there really any action we can take that we think would impress God? There's not. That's why we need a Savior. Have you ever come to that point to where you realized there was nothing you could do to make yourself acceptable to God, but you realized that you don't have to make yourself acceptable to God because Jesus already did that in your place. He died the death you should have died. He lived the life that you couldn't live, and he came back to life so that through him and through him alone, you can come back to God. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you? Have you stepped into a relationship with Christ, or is it just about playing the religious game? Have you been saved? That's the first question. Does a relationship with Jesus exist? But the second question I suspect is maybe the more applicable one this morning, and it's this. Has your relationship with Jesus just gone cold? Has it just gone cold? Was there maybe a time in your life where you were excited about following Jesus? You were passionate about following Jesus. You were passionate about the mission of God. But man, it's, it's just kind of waned. It's just kind of become routine. If that's the case, guys, what God says is, hey, return to me, and I'll return to you. 
Maybe the thing that comes out of this morning for you is, man, you just need to reestablish a habit of meeting with God every single day in his word. Or maybe reestablish a habit of gathering with the church, not to come to a location, but because Jesus promised his presence would be there with the church. Maybe you've slipped into a lifestyle that, that you know dishonors God and displeases God, and you've got to make some really tough decisions to step out of that. Because I can tell you this, guys, as long as we feed sin in our life, we'll never feed a genuine love for Christ in our lives. And this is where it starts. This is where getting started begins. It doesn't begin with a whole bunch of tasks. It begins with getting closer to Christ. But the beautiful thing about that is when you get to know someone, the more you get to know them, the clearer it becomes what you're supposed to do. For example, um, I am much, much better about buying Christmas gifts for my wife now now that we've been married for 10 years, together for 12 plus, than I was when we first started dating. I remember the first Christmas we had together when we'd been dating for about four months. I remember going into Claire's because I was like, I'm, I'm supposed to buy her some sort of jewelry. And I just remember being in there for like 30 minutes and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, like, like literally a salesperson came up to me and they're like, can I help? I'm like, I'm clueless. I've never really done this thing before. I'm trying to buy my girlfriend a gift, and I've never really done this. So, so I need help. I just need help here. But now that, now that we've been together for a while, I know what she wants. I even pick up on hints now. It's like I'm impressed by myself. Now, I do have a little crutch. I do keep a little Evernote file that's like ideas for grace. So when she actually drops a hint, it's like, ooh, let me write this down. And I actually think I actually think I'm going to surprise you this Christmas. I really do. I really do. So you just you just think about that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But where does that come from? That that comes from knowing my wife. That comes from having been with my wife. Guys, the same thing is true when it comes to Jesus. The more we we are with him, the more we develop our relationship with him, the more we start to understand, okay, this is what he wants me to do. Doing does not just exist on its own. Doing flows from knowing. Doing flows from knowing. It doesn't start with a what. It starts with a who because our primary purpose is not to go and do something. It's to know someone, specifically Jesus. But it will lead to doing. So what will that doing look like? Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 this is what he, God says to the people of Israel. He says, come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape you who live in daughter Babylon. Now, now let me pause there and let me make a point because this is really interesting. Remember that the people of Israel are in exile in Babylon. Like they're not living in their homeland. They're, they're living in a place that is foreign to them. They're living in the land of their enemies. And yet they have to be told to leave. What's the only time you ever have to be told to do something? It's if you're not doing it. You know, for instance, how many of y'all have ever been to the dentist and they're like, you need to floss? Anybody? 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 We can be honest. We can be honest. Why do we need to be told to floss? One of two reasons. Either you don't do it or you're like me and you just don't do it the right way. Which was like, like and I was, I was, I've been so excited the last two times I've been to the dentist, they haven't told me I needed to floss. I'm like, I'm finally doing it right. <laughs> isn't it interesting that they're living in a land of exile not their homeland literally in the land of their enemies 
and yet God has to tell them, y'all need to leave. Why do they need to be told to do that? Because they're not doing it. It begs the question, why are they not doing it? It's because they got comfortable. It's because they're like, we don't want to pack up. Like, 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 yeah, we don't really like it here. It's not great. It's not ideal. But come on. Like, going back to our homeland, it requires packing up all our stuff and traveling like hundreds and hundreds of miles. And they didn't have, they didn't have cars back then. We know that, right? They would have had to massively inconvenience themselves. Some of them have li- had literally built a life in Babylon. And they're like, man, this is inconvenient. It, it, it's comfortable here. Which leads us to the second idea of how you get started, and it flows from knowing Jesus. Getting started doesn't start with a what, but with a who. But the second thing is this. Getting started requires getting uncomfortable. It doesn't start with a what. It starts with a who. But as you get to know Jesus, guess what? Getting started in centering your life on his mission, guess what that requires? It requires you getting out of your comfort zone. After all, this is exactly what Jesus called the first disciples to do. When he showed up and said, hey, come follow me, like he, was, he, he wasn't saying, hey, y'all hang out with me for a little bit. He was saying, leave everything you know behind. Leave your careers, your families, and y'all follow me. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't say, hey, come pick up a lazy boy. He said, hey, come pick up your cross every single day. I worry, guys, that, uh, that particularly in American Christianity, we've settled for like a very comfortable version of, of almost like pseudo-Christianity that never requires us to stretch, never requires us to sacrifice, never requires us to adjust, and yet we call it faithfulness. Guys, the truth is this. If you're going to follow Jesus closely, if you're going to live your life centered on his mission, it's going to require you getting uncomfortable. Part of what we mean when we say that the mission moves us beyond us, which is one of our values here, is that it moves us beyond, like, it literally moves us beyond us. It moves me out of my comfort zone. It moves me out of my desires. It moves beyond my dream for my life to embrace God's desire for my life requires getting uncomfortable. But that doesn't sound fun, right? Like, 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 let's just be honest. Like, that kind of sounds miserable. And it begs the question, why in the world would I ever get uncomfortable? And so God actually answers that question, verse 8. And he says, For this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, in other words, against the place that you're living, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. Then you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me. If you want to know one really good reason to get out of your comfort zone, it's this. God's favor is not found in your comfort zone. God's favor is not found in your comfort zone. It never is. God is saying to the Israelites here, hey, you you need to leave because like, you may be really comfortable in Babylon, but the time is coming where I'm going to destroy it. Guys, if you're really, really comfortable, you just need to be careful. In fact, I remember my pastor, uh, Scott Betts, saying this one time, and, there, they, and I've mentioned this uh, like quite a few times here, but it's just something that so encapsulates the life Jesus calls us to. If like there is zero tension in your life, 
that, that, that results from following Jesus, if there's not something you've got to wrestle with, if there's not something you've got to pray through, if there's not some level of discomfort you're experiencing, then there's a good chance you've stopped following Jesus. Because following Jesus will always lead you out of your comfort zone. You say, that doesn't sound fun. Well, guys, God's favor is not in your comfort zone. And the question is, man, do you want to walk in the favor of God or not? I want to walk in the favor of God, guys. That doesn't mean leaving your comfort zone is easy. But at the end of the day, do I want to be guided by the Lord or do I just want to kind of figure things out on my own? Guys, figuring out things on your own is never really going to work. It may appear to work for the short term, but you give it enough time, it'll fall apart. And there's some of you guys right now, let's just be honest, you're living in a way that you know is opposite from what God says, but it's comfortable, it's convenient, it makes sense. It's just kind of the way you've always done things. And it may seem to be working right now, but I can promise you this, if you don't bring that under the submission of God, if you don't bring that into alignment with God's Word, I can promise you, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next year, it may not be the next decade, but eventually it will blow up. God's favor is never in your comfort zone. On the other hand, watch this, verse 10. He says, Shout and be glad, glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. God's favor is not in your comfort zone, but guess what? His presence is with you outside of it. His presence is with you outside of it. And I can promise you guys, there's nothing better than being with Jesus. Nothing better than being with him. But it's going to require you getting out of your comfort zone. It's going to require you leaving the familiar. It's going to require you leaving the predictable. It's going to require you leaving comfort. So how do we ultimately get to that place to where we're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave my comfort zone? Well, ultimately, it really depends on how close you are to Jesus. But because intimacy builds trust, Intimacy builds trust. The interesting thing about that, though, is like deeper intimacy actually requires deeper discomfort. Because think about it. If you're going to really get to know somebody, if somebody's really going to get to know you, it requires you letting them see the parts of you that, that, that you don't want them to see. It requires openness. It requires transparency. It requires discomfort. And the same thing that's true in our relationships with each other is so much more true in our relationship with Jesus. In fact, you can write this down. The depth of my intimacy with Jesus depends on the discomfort I'm willing to endure. Ultimately, if you're going to get out of your comfort zone, it's, it has to be birthed out of a deep intimacy with Jesus. But in order to get into a deep relationship with Christ, it depends on the discomfort you're willing to endure, which begs the question, how can you maybe get a pulse on the level of your intimacy with Jesus? And I would say one thing determines it above all. What kind of prayers do you pray? What kind of prayers do you pray? I've been so convicted recently of praying very safe, very sanitary, very predictable prayers. I mean, we do this like every time we sit down to a meal, right? God bless this 3,000 calorie cheeseburger. I'm not sure he will. Use it to nourish our bodies. I, I don't know about that. Or we might pray for safety. Hey, listen, nothing wrong with safety. We might pray for provision. No, nothing wrong with praying for, for provision. But think about the prayers you've prayed over the last month. Guys, aren't they often really sanitary? 
really safe. Almost, almost, can we just be real? Almost kind of lame. In light of an infinite, all-powerful God. We need to update our prayer life, guys. So here I'm going to give you some prayers that I would suggest you pray to deepen your intimacy with Christ. They won't be on the screen, but you can jot them down. The first one is God, stretch me. Stretch me out of my comfort zone. Now, guys, I'm not the most flexible person in the world. My wife is quite flexible. I am not. But you know what happens when you start to stretch? You start to experience discomfort. I cannot touch my toes. I just can't. If I start trying, eventually my hamstrings, my hamstrings will scream at me and say, stop. It's not fun. But if you do that little by little by little over time, you'll get flexible. The more you stretch, guess what? The greater your reach is. That's true individually and that's true for us as a church. The more you let God stretch you, the more he will use you to reach other people and influence other people. And this is kind of where I'm at right now. It's where we're at as a church. Like um, you guys know Sean. Sean is our church plant resident. We're planning on um, sending out his team next July to launch uh, probably January 2024. Um, and we've always said, hey, um, you, like, you can recruit anybody. Nobody's off limits. And that sounds great when you're like two years out from it. But when you start getting closer and people start jumping on, just like full transparency, it's like, theologically, I believe this. But my heart is like, eh. And so God is stretching me in that. He's stretching us as a church right now. Um, last week, we honored uh, Pastor David and Jennifer for their time here and said we were going to bring on somebody to fill that role um, and also fill the role of student ministry. And I'm excited to announce, guys, we've hired somebody. His name is Nathan. Um, and that's super exciting. And he'll serve here. He'll serve in a full-time capacity. But I'll also tell you, that's a stretch for us as a church. Because we're right on this cusp of, um, like I've talked before, the, the, generally speaking, you need about one full-time staff person for every 80 people. We average about 80 people. So it's a stretch higher for us. It takes us about 10% beyond budget. But you need somebody to lead worship. You, we've always needed, we've known, known we needed somebody to lead students. And so God is putting us in this place where it's like, we got to stretch. But when you stretch, you start to depend a lot more on him than you do on yourself. Are you willing to pray, God, stretch me? Here's another prayer, and it'll sound one of two ways, um, but it might sound like this, God, break me, or God, ruin me. You might say, that sounds miserable. It, it, it does. But, but the heart of this prayer is simply this, God, break me of my pride, break me of my self-sufficiency, Break me of my idolatry, my selfishness. Break me, of, of ultimately, of me. Break me over my sin. Break me over the condition of people far from you in our community. Or it might sound like God ruined me. Like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe to me, I am undone, I am ruined. Why would you pray that? Because it doesn't sound fun, and I can just tell you from experience, guys, it's not. Because God took me through a period of about four years or so where he just absolutely broke me 
crushed me. But here's what I found out in the process of that. If you'll let God break you and stop fighting that, and you'll just kind of let him drive you to rock bottom, you'll find out that Jesus is the rock down at the bottom. And the reason you need to let God break you apart is because God is not just trying to build on an addition to your house. He's trying to utterly ruin the thing that you've built so he can rebuild something far more beautiful in its place. Do you trust Jesus enough to pray, God ruin me, God break me? It's painful. You'll never want to experience it again after you go through it. But the other side of it is so much better. Maybe your prayer would go something like this, God, heal me. That's the one we like to pray, right? But, but let, me, let me pause you. I'm not primarily talking about physical healing here. You should pray for that. If you've got a physical ailment, pray for God to heal you. God heals. What I'm talking about is, God, heal me from my wounds inside my soul. Heal me from the abuse Heal me from the betrayal. Heal me from the grief and the loss. Heal me from the, the father figure that just was not there, the abandonment I, I faced. Heal me from the unforgiveness, the grudge, the addiction. Heal me from the things that underlie all that stuff, from the lies I've believed about myself. That gets really uncomfortable. It's easy to pray for physical healing. It's a lot harder to trust God enough to say, God, get down into the depths of my soul and show me the stuff that, that I have buried that I don't even want to know about myself. God, heal me. And the process of that is not pleasant either. None of this is pleasant. But man, it, it helps. It helps. It heals. It's so beneficial. The pain hurts, but it heals. And listen, I can tell you this about the character of God. God is a surgeon. He will never cut you more deeply than is needed for healing, but he will cut as deep as is necessary for healing. But you can trust him. He's a surgeon. He's not a butcher. And the fourth prayer would be this, God, send me. And what that simply is saying is this, God, I'm available. I'm available. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, my answer is yes. I was listening to a message recently where a pastor shared a story of a guy that came up to him after a message and was like, Pastor, I want you to know my answer is always yes. Now what's the question? And for like three weeks, the pastor was like, huh? And he finally met with this guy for coffee and the guy explained, Pastor, literally what I'm saying to you is, Whatever you need done, my answer is yes. If you need the lawn mowed, I'll do that. If you need the toilets cleaned, I'll need that. If you need somebody in kids' ministry, I'll do that. Students, whatever. You just tell me the question, my answer is yes. Guys, that's what our posture towards God needs to be. God, my answer is yes. You get a blank check for my life. What's the question? Send me. I'm available. Whatever that looks like. For some of y'all, that means being a part of Sean's team. For, for probably the overwhelming majority of y'all, it means staying here. For some of y'all, that means serving in kids. For some of y'all, it means being a part of what we're doing in East Smithfield. For some of y'all, it just means in this Christmas season, as we have our Christmas gathering coming up, stepping across the street and inviting your neighbor or stepping across the office or sending a text message to somebody that's been out of your life for years and saying, okay, I'm going to invite them. I'm going to try it one more time. That feels risky because it feels like we're making ourselves vulnerable. But guys, outside of your comfort zone, you are vulnerable. But only outside of our comfort zone do we start to impact people. 
Because not only does the depth of our intimacy with Jesus depend on the discomfort we're willing to endure, you can write this down too, the depth of our impact depends on the depth of the discomfort we're willing to endure. If you want to see God work greatly in your life and work greatly through your life, guess what? You're going to have to get really, really uncomfortable. You're going to have to part with some things. You're going to have to lay some things down. You're going to have to let God take you through the valley of the shadow of death to where you're like, I don't really want to do this. But on the other side of that is impact. On the other side of that is influence. And the more discomfort you're willing to trust Jesus to lead you through, the greater the level of impact that is going to result in. Now, none of that sounds fun, right? Like, it, it just doesn't. But I do have some encouraging news for you. You say, what? Jesus loves us too much to take us from zero to 60 overnight. Usually he starts us off with something that's, that's pretty small. In fact, if you look throughout Scripture, Moses didn't lead the people of Israel out of slavery without spending 40 years tending sheep in the desert. Small thing. Big thing. David didn't slay Goliath without first tending sheep and killing a lion or a bear. Now, you could argue that sounds a little big, but for somebody who's an expert with a slingshot, eh, not so much. Small thing, big thing. Even the disciples, Peter didn't immediately go from catching fish to preaching on Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved. No, he walked around with Jesus for three years, and Jesus had to utterly break him of his pride. Smaller thing, bigger thing. Jesus always tends to start us small. I can even look back on my own journey. When I finally realized that God was not calling me to, to be a, a professional drummer in a Christian band, I was like, okay, local church. Um, I started volunteering with uh, the student ministry that was at the church I was going to back home. And man, I wanted to be like the guy that was like counseling the teenage boys. I was like, I want to do that. And so I applied for, to be a volunteer. And they're like, we want you on the security team. Guys, I was so full of pride. It was like, they're missing out on this talent on this awesomeness. And so eventually, you know, like after that semester got over, I went away, went to seminary. And I was applying for student ministry jobs because I wanted to work with teenagers and I thought I was awesome. And uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time, we were starting to talk about getting married. And I was like, well, I need a full-time job. And there was a full-time job that was posted on this website and it was for kids ministry. And my mind, literally, guys, I was so messed up. I was like, I'm beyond kids ministry. I'm supposed to do student ministry. And then I was washing dishes, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and he said, you're not too good for anything. You go apply for that job. I was like, okay. Because I hadn't learned anything. And then once I got into that, I actually had a chance to do some student ministry with, with, with a group, and, and I thought I was going to be God's gift to them and that sort of thing. They didn't, they didn't really think so. What had to happen? God was trying to drill into my mind. You have to be okay with starting small. Start small. And if you'll start small and do the small thing over and over and over and over again, you do that for 20 years, and then you'll get back and you'll be like, man, God is actually having me do some fairly significant things. The way God puts it like this is in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. He says this, Who dares despise the day of small things? 
Since the seven eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, and they'll rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. You might be like, what is that about? So Zerubbabel was the guy that was in charge of building the temple, and the capstone was like the final piece that they put on something. So what God is saying here is, hey, start working on the temple. Start doing stuff. Don't despise the day of, of what seems small and insignificant because the work is going to get done. The work is going to get finished. But it requires starting small. If you want to get started, it doesn't start with a what. It starts with a who. If you want to get started, it's going to require getting uncomfortable. But the encouraging thing is this. Getting started means starting small. Getting started means starting small. And what I've learned as God has broken me in this area is that it actually takes a lot of humility to be willing to start small. And the reason so, so many of our dreams or aspirations just kind of die on the drawing board is because we're just not willing to start small. We think we got to eat the elephant at one time. We think we got to be big. We think we got to be splashy. Whereas God says, no, 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 start small. Start small. And if we'll start small, what we'll find out is this. The long game isn't one today, but it is one day by day. You're never going to see, like, the totality of what God wants to do in your life happen overnight. It's just not going to happen. But if you'll be obedient day after day after day, long-term obedience in the same direction, that's what makes a difference. That's how you win the long game. And ultimately, centering our lives on the mission of God isn't necessarily trying to go for the really, really big thing right up front. It's, no, let me do the small thing in front of me right now. For instance, I share with you some of, some of um, just transparently, some of my goals and my dreams personally and, and for our church last week. One of those was, okay, I want to live to be 100. Well, well, that means making healthy diet decisions. Today, one of my goals is I want to celebrate 75 years of marriage with my wife. Well, if I'm going to do that and be best friends with her and actually enjoy it and not endure it, that means I've got to pursue her. That means carving out time each day. Hey, let's have some face-to-face -face time and actual conversation. If I'm going to baptize both my boys, man, every single day, my goal is simply this. I just want to have one spiritual moment with my kids. Whether that's just quoting a Bible verse to them. Hey, if I can have just one moment, why? Because it's step by step by step. It's long obedience in the same direction. For our church, like I've, I've got some God-sized dreams, and I don't know if they'll happen, but it kind of puts a target on the wall for me. Um, I, I have a prayer that in 50 years, by the time we're 50 years old, and, and I really do desire to pastor this thing for half a century, by the time we're 50, my prayer is that we'll have sent 50 church planting teams out. Well, how do you start with that? It, it, it starts by sending one guy out. I have a dream that by the time we're 50 years old as a church, we'll have baptized 5,000 people and planted so many churches that our family of churches between the direct daughter plants that we have and our grandchild church plants and all those different things that come from that family that will reach 50,000 people between the, 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 the whatever, whatever that number is, all of us, that doesn't happen overnight. How does that happen? Invite one person to church. Have one conversation. Disciple one person. Pour your life into one person. Because the long game isn't one today. And, and that's what can overwhelm us sometimes. We think we got to eat the totality of the whole thing in one meal. God's like, no, just take one bite. And so my question to each of us this morning is, man, what's your one, one small step that God is calling you to? Not a huge thing, not an earth-shattering thing. Well, what, what, what is your one small step that God is calling you to?
Maybe it's giving your life to Christ. Maybe it's being baptized. Maybe it's getting out of your comfort zone and stepping into a group or stepping onto a team. Maybe it's just going across the hallway at your office. Maybe it's seeking counseling for your marriage. Maybe it's opening up to somebody about an addiction. I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know about small steps. They never feel like small steps most of the time, right? A lot of the time they feel like big steps. But it's just one step. It's just one step. Don't focus on the 50,000 things that have to happen for the future. Just do the one thing. And when you do the one thing, when you start small, here's what God promises. Zechariah 4, 6. It says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. When you start taking steps, when you get started, guess what? God promises his power to go to work in your life. See, usually we, we want God to, like, to put his power in it before it gets started. Guys, that's not the way God works. He says, no, you get started, then my power is going to empower it. But you got to get started. you got to take a step of faith. God's power will go to work in and through your life. The next thing that we see happen, chapter 6, verse 15, God says this, Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. In other words, if you get started, guess what? God always sends the people to help. He always sends the people to help. Sean is finding that out to be true in his church plant journey. We found that out to be true in our own journey. In fact, I was thinking about it today. Like a handful of the conversations that I had that were like inviting people on board panned out. Most of the people that like were a part of our launch team, God sent them to us. God sent David to us. I didn't go out and recruit David. God sent David to us. God sent our first kids director, Matt Gilley, to us. God sent Mark Stevens to me with like a whole group of people. That I didn't even work for, but God sent them that way. God sent Jason Bullock to us. God sends the people. So if you're like, I don't think I can do this alone. Listen, you take a step, God will send the help. Sean, you need to know that, man. You take a step, God will send the help. God will send the help. Whatever you're facing in your life, you get started, God will send the help, but it requires you getting started. And God sends the help because of this. Few verses here. Zechariah 2.11, God says, Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. And then he says, again in chapter 8, starting in verse 3, he says this, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. And in verse 6 it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, it may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. In other words, this is easy for God. This is easy for God. In verse 7, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Think about that phrase, God. The Lord Almighty, God all-powerful. He says, I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. What God promises when we get started, he promises his power in us and through us. He promises to send help, and he promised that because if we center his life on his mission, it's his mission, and he's going to make sure it works. He's going to make sure it happens. And it may not necessarily happen in a version that we think it's going to happen. But he promises the effectiveness of it. If we get started, 
and if we center our lives on his mission. And that's the key for this whole thing, guys. As I'm praying about getting started on this thing, whatever this thing happens to be, is this about my mission or is this God's mission? And that starts with who's your life really about? And ultimately, what that boils down to is, man, who is Lord? Who is Lord of your life? Is Jesus really Lord of your life? Is Jesus calling the shots? Or is it my ego? Or is it my pride? Is it my desires? Is it my pleasure? Is it my fun? Is it my kids, my spouse, my job, my my hobbies, whatever? It really boils down to, is Jesus Lord? So let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would be Lord of our lives, that we will bring our lives into alignment with what you say, that it will not be about us, it will not be about our goals, it will not be about our dreams, but God, it will be completely centered on yours. And in light of that, Lord Jesus, empower us through the Holy Spirit to simply get started, whatever that getting started looks like. So with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, two questions. The first is this. How many of you would say, there's something I need to get started on and I just need prayer for the courage to do it? How many of y'all would say that this morning? Just slip your hand up. Awesome, 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 awesome. Father, for those who need to get started, God, get them started. Give them the courage to take whatever step that is, to have whatever conversation that's going to be. And lead them to a deeper place of relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and lead them to a deeper place of impact. I pray they would see your faithfulness through their obedience. And for some of you in the room this morning, the question is simply this, man, is Jesus Lord? Because ultimately to be saved, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus means Jesus calls the shots. And so many of us settle for something that's actually not a biblical version of salvation. Salvation doesn't stop at believe the right things about Jesus. It means Jesus is Lord. He's in charge now. So if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never repented of your sin and said, Jesus, I want to trust you for salvation, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And just simply say, from your heart to God's, and by the way, God is not looking for a magic prayer. He's looking at the posture of your heart. Are you ready to surrender your life to Christ? And if so, simply say this, Father God, I'm a sinner. I can't make myself right with you. And I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave. And today I give you control of my life. Jesus, you're in charge and I will follow you wherever you tell me to go and do whatever you tell me to do, regardless of the cost. And if that was you today, can you just simply slip your hand up just for a moment, just so I can celebrate you if that was you. Celebrate the work of Jesus. Amen. Father God, thank you for the time we've had as a church family this morning. Lord, give us the courage to start small, 
and to trust you and just to simply do that every single day. God, make us faithful in the process of us being faithful. Lord, I pray we'd see you be faithful because that's who you are anyway. And that's ultimately why we can trust you even when you call us way out of our comfort zone. Jesus, we love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.